Good morning. I want to remind you that we have our booklets that are associated with 21 days of prayer and fasting that we did during January, and the booklets finally arrived last week. But if you weren't here last week, you didn't get didn't pick up one, we still have a few copies left at the Welcome Center. There's one per family, so I encourage you to get that. These are excellent little booklets called 21 Ways That We Pray. They're little articles that were written on ways that we pray from the various members of the staff of Church on the Rock. I think I've written two or three in here, so they're short and sweet and hard to beat. It's not a, a long read, a difficult read, but uh, hopefully you'll find it of some benefit to recharge your, your prayer life. 21 Ways to Pray. Great little booklets. Um, I guess when they're gone, they're gone. So one per family. There's a few left out at the Welcome Center. Well, Pastor Josh is up at Talkeetna today, speaking up there, while Pastor Cody is on a, he and Sophie are on the Holy Land tour. Jealous, jealous of them, and seeing pictures of them, that they're out on the Sea of Galilee, and different pictures are having fun over there, they they seeing all the wonderful places, so God bless them, amen? God bless Josh up at Talkeetna. I want to read some scripture that has meant so much to me over the years, and I'll be explaining why in a moment. But uh, it's found in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but to the contrary, bless, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, and who doesn't, right? Who doesn't desire to love life and see good days? Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Father, I pray that you'll use your word this morning to uh, bring uh, clarity and understanding and even change and transformation and healing to our hearts today. Just open our eyes to have a revelation of, a, of, of your ways and who you are and what you're like, what your heart is like, like we've never seen it before. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to share some thoughts today about how the gospel comes with people skills and how the gospel changes the way that we do relationships. It changes the way that we treat people. Uh, it helps us know how in those circumstances of life to respond to those individuals that we may work with or live with or have neighbor relationships with, whoever they might be, for life brings them along on occasion that are abrasive and just difficult people to get along with. The gospel is all about how Jesus Christ came to our world to reconcile broken relationships. That was his mission, why he came to reconcile a broken world back to God, 
to reconcile that relationship. That's why the scripture says that he made peace by the blood of his cross. In Colossians 1.19, Paul said, In him, meaning in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, that through him, in other words, Jesus embodied the likeness of God. See Jesus, you see what the nature of God was like. Jesus embodied that. He he lived it out. And uh, and then he says, um, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. I just love that verse because it says that the work of Jesus on the cross was a work of reconciliation. And that's why we describe the gospel as the gospel of reconciliation. That that Jesus came to reconcile or restore every, every broken relationship that sin has destroyed. This reconciliation, Paul says, reaches into every place, every place of fracture, every fractured relationship at every level. For he says, all things, whether on heaven or on earth, he came to reconcile all things, everything in heaven and on earth. So when we say that Jesus saves, it means that Jesus is bringing salvation into relationships, all relationships everywhere in heaven and on earth. It changes our relationship with God, obviously, first and foremost, where rebels uh, to God become friends of God and prodigals take a seat at God's table, were invited there. For Jesus brought that reconciliation of the broken relationship that we have with God. But even more than that, it changes our relationship with one another, with people. It turns strangers into brothers. It changes our relationship with animals. We, we even treat the animal kingdom better. And uh, we're, we're better dog owners and cat owners. And, and, and it just changes all relationship to where one day the Bible says that the lion shall lay down with the lamb. This is where the world is, the redeemed universe is headed towards. It's headed to a place of perfect reconciliation. It even changes our relationship with nature itself in the way that we treat the environment. It reminds me how years ago I read a story about a missionary who brought the message of Jesus to a remote tribal group who were cannibals and uh, the people responded to the message of the gospel they began to experience the love of God for the first time and uh, it changed their values it changed their way of life the way that they treated people so that one day this man came running up to the missionary who's waving his arms he was all animated and excited and upset about something and the missionary said what's wrong he says, oh, my, my dog just ate my Bible. And the missionary says, well, that's not a problem. I can get you another copy of the Bible. We have plenty of Bible. He says, no, 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 you don't understand. That's not the problem. Well, what's the problem? He says, well, I, I, I saw how 
message of the Bible has changed our life and caused us to love one another. That dog is my best hunting dog. I'm afraid the Bible's going to ruin him. He's going <laughs> to he's going to be reconciled to the environment, right? The the man had witnessed something. He'd witnessed the power of the gospel changing his village, giving them a love for their neighbor. He's worried that the Bible would do the same thing to his best hunting dog. Well, the gospel comes with this kind of power, but it's a particular power, a certain power, power to do something special, and that is power to put reconciliation back into all relationships, whether it's in heaven or on earth. So that Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. In other words, there's something new that happens. There's a transformation, a, a renewal that happens when we come to Jesus. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and he's given us also the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and has committed the message of reconciliation to us. So this verse speaks of two aspects of this ministry of reconciliation. One is what God has done for us in Christ, and then what he's commissioned or called us to do to be the embodiment of Christ to our world, taking that message of reconciliation to the world. And so reconciliation is what makes us as Christians look distinctively like Jesus. It's our new way of life. We are called to be an active part of God's reconciliation work and making broken things whole. And that's why he says, and he's committed also to us this message of reconciliation or giving, given us the ministry of of reconciliation. So this is how the gospel works. It works first by God giving it to us and we experience reconciliation or friendship with God and then we live that out. That reconciliation that we've discovered, we live that out with one another. The gospel gives us the love of God and so we live out the love of God to one another. We experience the peace of God. We're not, no longer enemies with God, no longer at war with God, rebels with God and so we live out that peace with one another. We experience forgiveness and so we, we forgive one another. We, the gospel it gives us grace. It extends grace for us when we're not deserving it. And so we, we treat others with the same courtesy of grace as well. C.S. Lewis said, To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in us. <laughs> and I love what St. Augustine said, um, If you are suffering from a bad man's injustice... Forgive him, lest there be two bad men. <laughs> if you're suffering from a bad man's injustice, forgive him, lest there be two bad men. So it brings up this very practical question, then, in the life that we live, when we encounter these kinds of broken situations, broken relationships, how do we learn to respond like Jesus to someone who's hard 
to work with, someone who's abrasive, someone who's difficult. Well, my life was changed when I discovered these verses that we read one day. The Holy Spirit just, you know, you can read a verse over and over. You can, you can know the Bible, but there's a moment in time when the Holy Spirit brings it to you. And he gives you the download into whether my hard drive was dead before that. I don't know what the analogy might be. But when the Holy Spirit speaks it to you, it's called, a matter of fact, this is a whole different teaching, but there's the Logos word of God, the Logos, but there's also the Rhema word. And the Rhema word of God is when the Holy Spirit gives it to you for a particular place and a time and a moment in a situation. And so this was like a rhema word that the Holy Spirit gave to me in a moment of time when I really needed it. I was dealing every day with a very difficult relationship and, and I needed help. My attitude needed help. I needed a, a God's grace to change my heart toward someone. And then God just dropped this word, this the meaning of what Peter is speaking of here as a, just like, like a living word. It was a transforming word into my heart, and it changed my life. It's just it's, it's like a reminder that God brings me back to. And in our Wednesday evening Bible study, little advertisement there. What time is it? Six, 6.30, there's a potluck. At 7 o'clock, we have a Bible study. We're going through Genesis, and, and we came across the passage this week about how they, when God did something amazing in their life, they put up memorial stones. And so we talked about how important it is for us when, when God does something special in life that we, we set up some kind of memorial, something to remind us to be grateful and to remember because the Scriptures always or just to remember, we're, we're, we have a tendency to forget, right? And go back to our former ways. And so, so when God did this for me, I felt inclined to put it in a little uh, plot. What do you call this? A plaque or a picture? or What do you call this? Frame. I, I framed it, yeah. I framed it. That, that'll preach, yeah. F- frame. You frame something God has done. And because it's all built around, what we're going to talk about next is how Peter talks about how we're, we're called to this ministry of blessing one another. Do not return evil for evil or reviling or for reviling. In other words, don't return the same, same for the same, kind for kind. But to the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you might also obtain a blessing. So we're called to bless. And so God spoke this into my heart one day, and I'm just going to pass it around. So I could put it up here, but it's hard to see. And then you can look at those other scriptures that God gave me in various places in the Bible. But I want to talk about that right now. There was a, a moment here a couple years ago, I was at Big Lake picking up some beekeeping equipment at a, a, a place where they have a, a business and uh, the lady who, who was uh, meeting me there was selling me the equipment. She says, Dale, she says, I know, know you're a pastor. She was a part of the Church of Jesus Christ, the Latter-day Saints. And she said, I, I know you're a pastor. I, I really need some help. And she began to describe the adversity that they were going through and how there was somebody just obstructing their business and telling lies about them and on on she says i about reached my capacity i don't know how to handle it and it's like god had been 
speaking into my life this ministry of blessing and I just gave her there standing there in front of the Connex getting my beekeeping equipment this download from the word of God about how Jesus Christ came and did what he did and how we're called to do the same and treat others the same way and how it's a ministry in the Bible that's called blessing one another. So let's look at this for a moment. Bless is a very significant biblical word and it's what Peter tells us here in the verse before us that we're called to bless for to this you were called. The New Living Translation of that verse says pay them back with a blessing. How do we pay people back? (laughs) We pay them back with a blessing. The message says, no retaliation, no sharp-tongued sarcasm. Woo, that'll preach, right? No sharp-tongued sarcasm. Instead, bless. That's your job, to bless. You'll be a blessing, and you'll also get a blessing. So we're called to bless, and this is how we live out the gospel. This is a very significant biblical word, but it's a word that has been overlooked. It's a word that's been underappreciated. It's been ignored. It's been forgotten in our generation. But Peter is writing this. It's important to know the context to a group of Christians who are being persecuted. They're they're persecuted under the infamous leader of Rome, uh, Nero, and he's persecuting the Christians, and this emperor is uh, just a, a, an ornery guy, and he's blamed the, the burning of Rome on the Christians, and now they're being persecuted. They're uh, disenfranchised, they're sent from home, and so the letter of Peter begins to, talking about to the Christians that are scattered through Bithynia, Asia, Cappadocia, and all over that part of the world. And so they're persecuted Christians, and the message of the letter is to teach these persecuted believers how to handle adversity in the spirit of Jesus Christ. That is really important to learn. I remember the first year of my ministry, I went with some other pastors to hear this the speaker speak, and I remember the first thing he said, that the most important thing for you as ministers to learn is how to respond to adversity in the spirit of Jesus Christ. I'm not sure anybody else ever remembers him saying that, but I remember it, and I think I remember it because the Lord put it in my memory so because he knew I needed to recall it over my lifetime. And I give that to you free of charge this morning, (laughs) but it's so powerful that what will make the most difference in your life is if and whether or not you learn to respond to adversity in the spirit of Jesus Christ. And that's the advice that Peter, who has been a student of Jesus, who lived with Jesus, been taught by Jesus, observed Jesus' life and how Jesus treated him, is now passing this on to these Christians who have been suffering and persecuted and saying, this is how you respond to this kind of difficulty and adversity. You respond in the same way Jesus responded. In the way, the grace that he's given to you, you give it to others. And he describes it in terms of this five-letter word, bless. Revenge is not the right option, says Peter. Bless is the right option. I've heard people describing America today as the culture of rage. 
our country is in bad shape because we've lost the value of blessing our enemies. We're really good at protecting our rights, at exerting power and might. We're better trained at at uh, returning an eye for an eye than we are washing one another's feet or turning the other cheek. A few years ago, there was this article in Time magazine that was entitled, America's Anger is Out of Control. The article started out saying, and I quote, the easiest thing you'll do all day long is get ticked off at something. Someone cuts ahead of you in the traffic, ticked off. The guy in front of you at Starbucks needs his entire order remade because his mocha half-calf double frap has the wrong number of espresso shots in it, even though you know full well nobody can taste the difference. (laughs) Exceedingly ticked off. Anger is the lazy person's emotion, this article said. It's quick, it's binary, it's delicious, and more and more we're gorging ourselves on it in America, on anger. And we've developed this angry default, like as if this is who we are as humans, this is how we live, this is what our culture is like, this is even how to be manly in a certain way. And it's become our way of life. And it's dividing relationships, it's not helping us. So Jesus is pointing out a different way, it's a countercultural way. The, that blessing others is a whole countercultural idea to the nature of humankind. But Jesus wants to change our way of life. This is his idea for how to bring redemption and the healing of broken relationships to our world. Bless, Peter gets very practical with it. He says, bless is an action of the tongue. (laughs) The Bible has much to say about the overlooked power of our words. Peter goes on in verse 10 and says, Um, whoever desires to love life and see good days. If you want to have a good day, then practice the use of your words. He said, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Our words have the potential to do good or to do harm. And the Bible describes this impact of our words in verses. Many of them are in Proverbs. I'm going to read several in Proverbs. First of all, he says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. Heaviness in the heart of man makes it stoop, but a good word makes it glad. So a spoken blessing does good to those who hear it. And in the New Testament, the English word for bless is from the Greek word eulogeo. And according to Strong's Concordance, this Greek word eulogeo means to speak well of or to even invoke a benediction of praise or a a desire for that person to prosper. That's what the word bless or eulogeo means. So that when you bless someone, you're directing God's goodness upon them. You're, you're lavishing God's grace upon them. You're, you're interceding or intervening for them to stand in the gap for them, to, 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 that, you, that God's grace would come upon them. So a spoken blessing is, 
entirely positive, isn't it? It's a positive biblical statement that invokes blessing into the life of another person. It treats someone then not as they are, but as God's grace is capable of making them be. A blessing is chosen to commission our tongue as an instrument of God's love. And the next thing I want to point out about bless is that it's the lost command of Christ and his apostles. It's a command that we've forgotten, that we don't even like to talk about a whole lot. It's a, it, it's a glaring thing that's missing in our discipleship today. We've lost the call of Christ to bless our enemies. Bless our enemies. The church, I think, even is losing our witness in our culture today because of this glaring deficiency that we're disobedient in Jesus' call to bless. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke chapter 6. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Matthew chapter 5, but I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. And then Paul, we're talking about the, the lost command of Christ and his apostles, so next to his apostles in Romans, he says, bless those who persecute you, and bless and do not curse. This was not just to end with Jesus' teaching or end with Jesus' generation. It moves on and it should become the distinctive practice of all followers of Christ for all times. So that Peter comes and addresses in a very pertinent situation to a church that's undergoing adversity and persecution and, and he reminds them that this is the way of Christ. As a matter of fact, if you study the theology of First Peter, He's, he's telling them to live like Jesus. That's where we get the, you know, in his steps, the book in his steps, or what would Jesus do for Peter um, has that verse in his epistle that, uh, that we should live like Jesus. We should live as if we're Jesus with skin on, as it were. So the good news of the gospel is that it has the power to deliver us from the poison of unforgiveness and bitterness. And Peter is teaching a practice that is deeply rooted, actually, in Old Testament theology. And I want to take you back to the Old Testament where we're introduced to the concept of blessing in the book of Numbers. You've heard this blessing. I, I use this blessing when I, every time I give a, a baby dedication or I was remembering when we were closing the service, the, in the, the first service this morning, that... For many, many years, when my children were going to sleep, I would kneel by their bed and pray over them, and I would, I would give them this blessing. It's a blessing that Moses said, or God told Moses, that to, he's to speak this blessing upon the children of Israel. And it's found in Numbers 6.27. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel, and you shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And then listen to the last line. 
so shall they put my name upon the people of Israel. In other words, by giving this blessing, you're putting my name. You're putting my nature, my character, who I am in my heart. This is what I'm like. I'm a God who wants to bless his people. I'm a God that wants to restore relationships. You shall put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. That's powerful because it tells us that blessing one another actually moves the hand of God to want to do that. That when God hears us blessing people, it moves him to display his loving power and grace upon them. And God has designed a prayer of blessing as the one thing to invoke him to act and impart grace into the lives of other people. So that when we bless people, God says that blessing is is branded with my name, my character will go there. For this is what the nature of God is like, that he, he called Abraham out to be a special family, to be a witness to what God is like to the rest of the world. And he says, through you all the world will be blessed. Blessed. And he's telling Moses to give this as a job description to Aaron and his sons. And Aaron was of a, of a, had a special occupation which was called the priesthood. So it was the job of the priesthood to connect people with God. They were relationship builders. And the way that they built a relationship with God is through this priestly blessing because a spoken blessing would invoke life and power and grace in God's name. I read something really interesting from a guy named Bruce Wilkerson who tells about a time that he was teaching this for his first year of teaching in a particular Bible college and and he was asked to teach first year Bible uh, survey class and in that particular college they had had previously a practice where they would screen the the freshmen and put them in three different categories like I remember when I went to Bible school, they gave us a Bible knowledge test, so they knew at what level you were at. But I never did know how well I did at it. I probably flunked it. They thought, oh man, who is this guy? So I can imagine this is probably what they were doing. And then they put the students in different categories. In other words, they labeled them, right? Your A, your B, and your C. So the A would be the high achievers, and then the B would medium, and the C were the the losers. <laughs> and so you could just, so this was the what they were doing at this Bible college. And, and so halfway through the semester, the, the dean of the school and Bruce were walking around and he said to him, he said, so Bruce, how are you enjoying teaching? And he says, oh, I'm absolutely loving it, especially I love teaching that A group. And uh, and halfway through the semester, sure enough, the A group were outperforming the Bs, just really outshining them. And the Bs were outperforming the Cs. And the size of the assignments that the A groups were handing in was just like excellent. They were like three, three times as, as good as the, the Bs and the Cs. And the dean says, well, what do you mean? the A group and the B group and the C group. And he says, well, remember the three groups that you would screen them into when you, when you did the orientation of students and you put them into a particular group? He says, oh, no, no, no. He said, we stopped doing that years ago. We don't do that anymore. 
Three, so you think about it, three identical groups. There is no differentiation between the three, yet his perception as a teacher was that he was teaching the A group. And because he brought that perception, then they were just excelling in their aptitude, in their academic excellence. And so it just, I'm not a psychologist, I'm just a preacher. But there's a certain psychology even in the kind of attitude or expectation that you bring to someone. If you're going to expect them to be an A student, then you, you raise them to that level. But if you're expecting them to be a, a dumbbell screwball, don't know up from down, then, uh, then that's probably what the, the level they will rise to, right? Or not rise to. So I think there's just some, some certain human psychology, the way that God has designed and shaped us as humans to function that way, that we rise to the level of a person's expectations. So when, when we bless someone, we leave them better then we found them because God has promised to put his name on them. That's his nature. That's the way he's designed us in his image. And he's designed us to be a, a people who bless one another and pull out the best out of one another. A blessing has the power then to move the hand of God, actually, to change a person. So if you treat somebody as they are, they will stay as they are. But if you treat them as they ought to be, then they'll become better persons. I was sharing with our Wednesday night Bible study group this past Wednesday. It brought a reminder to me of my first year in the ministry. Um, it was a, a inner city church, and we were trying to do like a bus ministry to bring in kids who were uh, from the unchurched community. And these kids would come to church and they would be very disruptive. They would bang on the floor. They were loud. They were just like, and, and you couldn't even hear. They were just, they had no idea of how prim and proper you ought to be in the house of the Lord, you know. <laughs> and I was young. I was unprepared to know how to deal with this. And so at the time I was working on my master's degree and I was taking this class on Christian education in the local church. And I asked our, the professor during class, her name was Dr. Connie Palm, I said, can you give me some help with this situation? And just, what, what should I do? And she looked at me and she said, without batting an eye, she said simply, treat them like you want them to become. And then she moved on. Like, like, like that's the answer. And I, I was clueless. I, it didn't even, it, it didn't even get Anyway, so it, I, it came into my ear. It, it didn't even get very far down, you know. It just, it just stuck there. But, but God put it there, and I began to percolate on that, and it, and it began to, God began to show me like that's the way He treated Peter, right? He treated Peter not as Peter was, but like He knew He could become. And I thought that's the key, and that's what Peter means when he talks about blessing someone. We're, we're treating people not as they are. Don't treat those kids like as if they're pagan, <laughs> could care less, they'll never come to Jesus type of kids. No, treat them like they're loved by God and, and that they could become pastors and missionaries and Christians. You know, just, just treat them like God wants them to become. That's powerful. And God has called us to this kind of ministry, this kind of way of life. And if you want to get technical and theological and kind of Old Testament about it, 
If, if this was what God told Moses to give to Aaron, this was Aaron's ministry, Aaron was part of the, what is called the priesthood. And God gave this ministry of a priestly ministry to the entire nation of Israel. This is what he told them in Exodus 19.6. God told the entire nation, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Priests were people who connected others with God. They were relationship builders, relationship restorers. The entire nation of Israel was to be this to the rest of the world. To, to manifest, to be the presence of God to the world, to, to tell the world about God. They were to be a kingdom of priests. And then we come to the New Testament, and actually Peter in this same epistle that we're reading uses, um, I, I saw a chart this week that Peter's epistle uses 64% uh, of Old Testament language in it, which is... Um, the book of Hebrews was equivalent to that. There's no other book in the New Testament that uses more Old Testament language than the book of Revelation. So it's very high in its usage of Old Testament language. Again, that's kind of a spider web, free information there. It's not part of my sermon. But Peter then calls us as Christians into the same occupation of priesthood. He said in First Peter, he says, but you are a chosen race. You believers, if you're a Christ follower this morning, you're a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you. We are people who are on display in the world to carry the presence of Christ to the world. And so bless means we are carrying the presence of Jesus Christ into the world. Peter says, "For this, <clears throat> to this you are called. We have a calling on our life to embody the likeness of Christ, the presence of Christ wherever we go. <clears throat> if it's at the shop, it's at your, your place of business, wherever you, you, you work, that you carry when you enter those doors, the presence of Jesus there. It's in your home. And the purpose of your life is to have influence for Jesus. That's our job description, to spread the blessing of the Lord around the world. We're called to bless those who mistreat us, who wound us. And I want to just close by saying that blessing is what flows naturally when we are living in the presence of Christ. We carry the fragrance or the air of heaven when we've been in heaven, right? We, we smell like heaven if we've been in heaven. <laughs> we smell like Jesus if we've been around Jesus. I guess that'll work, but I don't, I don't like that too much. But we carry, the fra- we carry the fragrance of Jesus when we've been in the presence of Jesus. There, that sounds more, more gooder, right? One day there was this man named Larry Griffiths who came to my office and he told me a story about his little five-year-old granddaughter. She was just this outgoing, um, spirited, strong, confident little girl and uh, she had become a distraction at the school and so the teacher sent a note home to her mom and to help try and help with the situation so her mother sat her down and she talked to her about it and suddenly this little five-year-old girl jumped up and said, Mommy, I'll be right back. And she ran to her bedroom. 
And uh, she stayed there for a few minutes, and then she came running back out, and she said, Mommy, I went into my bedroom, I, I got down on my knees, and I prayed, and, and I want you to know, Mommy, that Jesus took the devil right out of my heart, and so, Mommy, you have a new daughter. Meet your new daughter, Mommy. My name is Desiree. No, no, no that, was, that was her sister's. My name is Ebony. And then she turned to her little three-year-old sister, Desiree, and says, look at me, Desiree, I'm a new sister. You can follow me now. (laughs) It's a humorous story, but still the the, the metaphor, the picture is true, that she went and got on her knees. She, as we sang earlier, surrendered herself to Jesus. She let Jesus do some soul surgery in her heart. She got her spirit aligned with the spirit of Jesus and and she became a new person in Christ Jesus old things are passed away and behold all things became new right and uh, and so she was now carrying the influence of Jesus where she went and so that it's true with all of us that if we live in the presence of Jesus we then emanate the spirit of Jesus it's like a a poem I learned years ago that says we mutter we sputter we fume and we spurt We mumble, we grumble, our feelings get hurt. We can't understand things, our vision grows dim when all that we need is a moment with Him. So blessed is the distinguishing sign that we are people who have lived in the presence of Christ. And I just want to say that blessing is the happiest way to live. I know that can sound self-serving, but it's what Peter says at the close here. He says, if you're you're called to bless so that you may also obtain a blessing. That you may obtain a blessing. Blessing others comes back to us with a sense of fulfillment and joy and happiness. That we are blessed in the process. So the gospel comes with people skills. It helps us get along with one another. It changes the way we do relationships, the way we treat people. And if Jesus has commanded us to bless those who have wounded us, then he will give us the power, the capacity to do that. So I just want to close with this question. Will you choose this morning to become that person who carries the loving presence of Christ to the place where you live, where you shop, the people that you know, the home where you go, where you work. This is how the gospel will change our world, folks. This is how Christ has intended it to work, through people carrying the blessing, the presence of Christ wherever we go, to where we walk, as it were, like Jesus with skin on. Heavenly Father, we we ask that you will help us in a supernatural way to be people who are, we are not like this naturally, but you've given us the capacity through your grace to put your spirit within us, to become like you, to form us into the image of Jesus Christ. And so we ask that you will do that. We just give you permission as we sang earlier, Lord, to to open ourselves up to you, to let you work in our life. Shape us, remake us, renew us. So thankful, Lord, that you give us a new start. When we failed, when we've blown it, you still let us start again. So Lord, make this a day of grace. 
a day where we have a new opportunity to be a new creature in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.